My name is Mike Nichols. I think visually, I use design as a way to tell stories, to communicate, and I do it through building a community. I know I'm doing my life's work. My purpose on this life is to create, is to design, is to illustrate. That's why I'm here on this earth. And I'm fortunate enough to have the vision and the, well, the skill set and the talent to do it. Notice that most people who are creative have always been creative mm-hmm. since they were little. Mm-hmm. Have you always been creative? What was your outlet? What was the thing <clears throat> that you know you made that you really loved? Ever since I can remember, I've always like created something, drew something, made my own little world. And it's funny because I remember early when my dad and my mom was together, I remember seeing images of him like painting. Mm-hmm. And we had this like spare room when we moved from New York to Charlotte. I remember just seeing him painting. I don't know what he was painting. I just remember seeing that image of him. Then after they separated, it was just me and my mom. I still kept drawing. And so what I just remember drawing the most are like motorcycles a lot, um, comic (laughs) books, uh, like Calvin and Hobbes and Garfield and Snoopy. Mm -hmm. So I remember just kind of redrawing those. Then sneakers. So those were like the four or five things I used to draw the most. I just remember drawing those a lot. And... Even when I was like either eight or nine, I remember drawing these Nikes. I, I think I sent them to Nike, whatever. You did? That's so brave. Yeah. And <laughs> they replied back, you know, and they're like, oh, we have, I should have kept that letter. I don't know where that letter is. Oh. So, you know, we have a team of doing, thank you for your interest, whatever. But they probably use those drawings somewhere down the line. I, they ha- they're going to call them vintage later. There you go. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've always just, I can't, I can't remember not. Not drawing. Thing has always been there. And you've kept that going. Yeah, and I feel like there was a way to where it became my friend in a sense, mm-hmm. my like my way to communicate. Because growing up, I stuttered a lot. You know, mm-hmm. so I just couldn't get any words out for most of my life as as a kid. Yeah. And then drawing was just a way for me to just channel all of that into this. I used to write raps too. You know, <laughs> I remember my first rap like nine or ten, something like that. And so just always creating. I've always, I feel like I've always done it. What's the your first memory of making something that you loved? Like you just wanted to hug it. You felt so proud of it. Drawing a motorcycle. Yeah. I, I would design them. Right? Oh, you were like, desi- I, I see. I didn't realize you were like. Yeah, I was like designing. I would like, I would look at this magazine called Cycle World and I would redraw the, the motorcycles. But I would make it in the way that I wanted to look like. And sneakers. That's all I used to do, just draw draw sneakers. And I drew sneakers for every brand that I knew back then. The rent, like <laughs> Avia and Brooks and Feli and Nike and Reebok and Tree Torn, like all of the different brands, I would draw them. So that's what I remember the most vividly, at least as a kid. There was this cartoon called Silverhawks. Yeah, I used to take my, my G.I. Joes and make them Silverhawks. I'll put paper in their arms and spread it out. If you see the cartoon, you'll see they'll, they're like cyborgs, but they hit their side of their hip, and then they open their arms, and then they get wings. Oh, uh-huh. So I would make, I would take my G.I. Joe little dolls and make them into Silverhawks. So that, that was cool. Yeah, I think just drawing was always the love. I always was excited with what I would create from my mind or, or inspired by, you know, by the things I wanted. Mm-hmm. You can envision something that you can't actually hold yet. That part, yo, like the, the I mean, with anybody who is a creative and draws something, like for you to, for it to come from your mind mm-hmm. to a piece of paper 
to a physical 3D thing. Yeah. That feeling when you first touch it, ugh. Yeah, like there is nothing like it. You're making a life form, right? You know what I'm saying? And so there is energy in that thing that you created because it, it came from that thought. And a lot of intention. And I think a lot of it happens when you're not even necessarily, you're not necessarily thinking about it, right? Like you sleep and your brain processes, gives you some stuff you don't even know about. Then it just kind of comes out differently than you would have planned necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Better. It's because I think what it is is that it's the the atmosphere around it is also part of it. Mm-hmm. It's in your head, right? So it's a it's this idea or this vision in your head. But when it comes out of your head and into the world, the world is also engaging with it too. Yeah. Right. It's almost like if you're dry and you if you dive in water, you're going to be wet. Right. So you take on the properties of that thing that you're in. Yeah infusing of the atmosphere when you're making something. The environment matters. The environment matters. Yeah. Yeah. What's your Oakland story? How did you end up here? Oh, wow. That's a good one. <laughs> I'll give you a long story short. I was living in Philly at the time, like 06, and I was dating this woman, and it didn't work out, and we had planned to go visit her mom in, in Texas. And this was Southwest at the time. I bought the ticket. And you know what Southwest, I don't know if you can still do it now, but you can switch. So then a friend of mine who I went to college with in Chicago is from the Bay Area. He's actually from Cupertino, home of Apple and all those all those people. And he was like, oh, you should come to the Bay Area. I'm like, okay, I should come to the Bay Area. Uh, this is in 07, in February of 07, I took a trip to the Bay. So I pretty much stayed in San Jose area because that's where he lived at the time. And we just we just did a tour around the Bay. We didn't really touch Oakland, though. We just went to the places they knew. So then six months later, I moved I moved to I moved to California. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know anybody. Didn't know a soul. I knew him. Mm-hmm. So long story short, when about the time I got to San Jose, he got booed up. And with his girlfriend and his his friends from high school, and I'm like the new guy. San Jose is not that welcoming. If you're not in tech and you don't have family there, it's really hard to be there. So I was just alone there. So then one of my friends from Philly was working on her book here in Oakland. He said, hey, Mike, why don't you come hang out with me in Oakland? Said, All right, cool. Yeah. Came to hang out with her in Oakland. I went to Lucas. Because I like house music. <laughs> house music was my fav- is like one of my favorite music to dance to. And you like to dance. I like to dance. You like to dance. Yeah, I like to dance. And so we were at Luca's. There was this party called Brothers and Sisters, I think. So at this dance party, and then this woman was like, if you like this party, you should go to this other party. It's on mm-hmm. Saturday. Mm-hmm. So with Saturday, it was at Oasis. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it was, uh, it was the people party. And I was there. Was doing, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. They got house music in Oakland. I, didn't, I had no idea. I got into house music when I was in college in Atlanta, loved it. I'm a hip hop head, like that's just my roots, hip hop. Grew up in R&B, but hip hop is like, is me. But I just loved Jamiroquai when they came out. And so anyway, Atlanta started, and then in Chicago, of course, is a, ha- is a house scene. Then in Philly, they had a decent house scene too. So I just love dancing. Anywho's, I'm like, they have house music in Oakland? I'm moving to Oakland. <laughs> and but there was this girl I was really, you know, trying to haul out or whatever, trying to, you know, she was she was she was teasing me a little bit. I was like, okay, all right, if I move to I'm gonna move to Oakland and not so much so much be with her, but like this is a scene here that I don't have in San Jose. Yeah, yeah. It felt right. It felt right. So in three months I moved to Oakland. So I moved to Oakland in 08. Wow. That's how it started. You know, in the moment that you probably weren't like 
oh, this friend's hitting me up and saying, come to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. That's going to change the direction of my life. Mm-hmm. You didn't go to this like one house party saying, oh, I'm going to move from San Jose to Oakland. But it's like these little things that just change your direction. Just like one or two degrees and yeah. it changes the whole trajectory. The whole, like, I didn't even think about that. These, this one little change, this one little, and in both those cases, I had no idea what it was. Yeah. I didn't know anybody in Oakland. I didn't know anybody in San Jose except for him. I knew old girl, but we didn't really date or anything at all. Like, I moved here and we were like, oh, we didn't really do anything. <laughs> so I'm walking around Oakland by myself. Mm-hmm. I lived by Lake Merritt, and I still felt at home. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't know a soul, I just still feel like this is where I need to be. But that required you to be a certain level of brave and willing to put yourself out there. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because all the places I moved to, and Philly was the same way. I moved to Philly not really knowing anybody. And some friends of mine were going to all move to Philly. Mm-hmm. And, oh, nobody ended up moving. <laughs> I'm the only one ready. I was living in Chicago at the time. So I moved to Philly not knowing anybody too, but still just felt like, oh yeah, this is where I need to be. There were some, just naive too. Mm-hmm. Not really, sometimes I don't, I don't like to overthink something. Yeah. Let me just do the shit. Yeah. Let me just do it. Whatever happens, happens. And I know myself enough to where I keep, you know, I protect myself or, you know, I'll be okay. And so, so yeah. That's a certain level of self-trust too, right? Like to know that whatever happens, like I got, like I I got myself covered in some way. Yeah. It's, yeah. I never thought of it that way though, but yeah, it's right. Like there's like this sense where it's like, I'll be okay. But I think there's just a part of it just not being naive too, just like not knowing. (laughs) Let me just jump. Because I think if you know like too much, you won't do anything. That's right. You just be like, uh, uh, I don't want to go. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Uh, like, nah, man, just do this shit. Yeah. Now we've looked a little bit back. Mm-hmm. Let's look a little bit forward. If you could wave a magic wand, where would you be in five years? Or, you know, five years isn't the right one. 10, 15, however long out. It's funny you say five years. I'll be 46 this month, and I have a five-year plan. Five years. If I see, well, if I see it, I mean, it has happened. Why not? You're putting it into the universe. Okay. In five years, <laughs> I would like to have an artist residency. So my mom is from South Carolina, from mm-hmm. Summerton, South Carolina, a small, like a small town in South Carolina. There's nothing really, there's not a lot there, just land. And she inherited land from her mother, my, my grandma, who inherited land from her dad. Mm-hmm. So we have this plot of land and my grandma had 13 kids. And most of them don't really want anything with the land. They just, mm. they don't really want that. My mom and her, her sister are, are the only ones living on the land. And so I want to have a place where people can go and make art. And I want to name it after my after my grandma. Miss Sweetie was her nickname. And so in five years, I like, I like to do that. And in five years, I want to be to the point to where I don't have to work as hard. Mm-hmm. I think I've done enough of that shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And whatever path that takes for me to do that, that's what I want. I'll probably want to have like a few places to live. Probably New York, I think, would be good. And somewhere in the South, just to have a place there. And then one other place, like maybe here or... So yeah, in five years, I would like to have that. I would want to be sustainable financially. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to worry about paying rent, I, yeah. you know, all these things, whatever. So I'm trying to figure out now what is that pathway to break free from the fear of having access, the mm-hmm. fear of being sustainable. The fear of fear of financial freedom. The devil, you know, is always the thing that'll get you fucked up. Yep. 
Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. And so that's my vision for the next five years. And so it could be here in Oakland too. I don't know. My son, he's 11. Um, he'll be 16 at the time. So I feel like I'll be living in different places. That's what it feels like. Yeah, and a little untethered, right, in some mm-hmm. way. like, And that freedom not being, like you are saying, fearful, but being exciting. Yeah, I think that's the that's a part of it too is that when you're always on the edge, it's like some like MacGyver or Jason Bourne shit. You don't know what's about to happen, but you find a way to get through it. Yeah. You just find a way every single time, right? Whether that's the most high, God, Buddha, Allah, whatever you want to say that, there's a connection that you have to have and trust, back that trust part towards, okay, I am making the right initiative, the right movement, most high, universe, the forest, let's do this together. Yeah. Is a conversation, it's a dialogue. It, there's excitement with that. Mm-hmm. It's like, Whew. what's next? What am I gonna find around the corner? Exactly. Uh-huh. And 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 almost like it becomes your I'm not saying you're looking for testaments, but there's a way to where your journey is intrinsically gonna inspire yourself and mm-hmm. maybe inspire other people too if they know that, for them to take a little chance and take a little risk. And so so yeah, there's just like this being comfortable, being uncomfortable. The comfort isn't the thing that tells you you're on the right path. <sighs> that is a bar. You should be a writer. I mean, or not a, like an MC. That is a, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I say this all the time, like good enough will get you fucked up, right? Because it keeps you comfortable long enough that you don't go for anything else. You don't, you know, it. it's the creature comfort thing, right? Yes. Where it's like, oh, I have this one thing that feels so good and like out there is scary and all of that. But ultimately when you look back, it's it's kind of empty sometimes. Well, that's the thing. How, now, how do, we, how do we do that in a way that we're not exhausting all of our energies? Yeah. Exactly. Right? How do we be uncomfortable without being like in pain? In pain. <laughs> and just like, oh my gosh, I'm tired. You know what I'm saying? So I want to be uncomfortable, but not be tired. Yeah. Not be exhausted to appreciate the joy of that, right? And yeah. so I think that's the that's a new look. Yeah. That's what that's the that's the, that's the new Jamie Jam. All right. It's in the universe now. Yes, it is. <laughs> <You> <laughs> it is there. It. I spoke it. <laughs> Today's episode of Vicinity is brought to you by Viscera Studio, a design studio helping passionate entrepreneurs visualize beautiful ideas. Viscera Studio helps people build brands that emotionally resonate with customers by creating innovative strategies designing brand identities, capturing powerful images through photography, and architectural design to build spaces as unique as your business. Visit viscerastudio.com to find out how we can help visualize your beautiful ideas and sign up for a free 20-minute consultation. You know, that see, it's a mindset. It is totally a mindset that I've been working on for the past, definitely five years for sure, most of my life yeah. of changing the narrative, just a different way of looking at the limitations that, that I embraced mm-hmm. because they people did the best they could, Yeah. right? And so the mindset is the, that's the hardest part. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, physiologically, your brain needs to 
build new paths to get to a different place. Yeah. So if you if it's a mindset that's that is you can change it, you can mold it, you can reshape it, but understanding the core essence of who you are is good. That's the that's the part. The core essence of who you are is good. Let that be your pivot point. Let that be your your beacon, your um your access, whatever you want to call it. You're good. Mm-hmm. Now let's find look for evidence. Bolster yeah. that goodness. Double down on the on the, double yeah. down on the goodness. Mm-hmm. Double down on the goodness. <laughs> let, let that be like the the starting point. As all of this experience, all of this awareness, access, all of this abundance, all of this wealth is always swirling around all of us all the time. Mm-hmm. How do we get that from the ethers and put it in the physical? Part of what's important about this podcast is that it's for other creative people who might not know where they're going or just feel a little unmoored or you know, are just in a place where they're stuck and they need to hear that one thing and know that they're not like a fuck up or something because it's hard. And so my question is, you know, can you, can you tell us about a time when you really struggled in your business and how did you overcome that? The business part was the hardest part. It just not my, my skill set. It wasn't what I came in this world to do. Having a team was really hard. Managing that was really challenging. The best way I was able to achieve, kind of keep going is make it small. Mm. Keep it as small as possible. So if something doesn't work out, only you have to deal with the brunt of it, not a whole bunch of other people. At the same time, you have to have the weight of that thing. So then you have to tap into your community to make sure you get some support on some level, Mm -hmm. right? Keep people in in the loop. Because if they don't know what you're going through, then you're going to have all of it on your shoulders. So I think that was something I definitely learned over the time is that tell people your process, what's going on, don't feel any shame about any struggles you have, and just be open with people. You never know who can help out. And so, but the challenging part was the business part. And so every time I came up to a a, a brunt of like, oh shit, if I don't, I, if I'm thinking this big, I can't do it. Prime example was uh, the first of this year, we launched um, a crowd campaign for Umber. And we were trying to do it differently. We didn't do it on Kickstarter. We did it on our own website. And there were so many problems with that shit. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, it just was not, you know, when you have these templates, sometimes it's great to use that. So that's one thing you don't have to worry about. Anyway, what was happening is that it became like this big, huge thing mm-hmm. where people were like, wait a second, I don't, is it, I don't, know, I don't know what part I want to support. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, so we went through this whole thing, and it's like we kind of we raised some money, but not the money we were trying to raise. So what I did is I was like, you know what? Let's just focus on the one thing, the wealth issue. Let's just try to raise money just for this one thing, because we have all we. I could tell you that I could talk about that, and we were able to raise actually, <laughs> so crazy, almost the same or more money than the campaign for just the one issue with, with less people. Because it's based upon our relations we have with these people. That's one thing. And two is more concise. Oh, it's, oh, that. I know what that is. It's a wealth issue. You're talking about money. Black and brown people. I could, yeah, we need that. Here's some money. It was that. Just narrowing down your focus. You start too big, too quick. You would get overwhelmed. The people around you could get overwhelmed. You'd be like, you're going to get lost in it. Yeah. Narrow that focus out. I always say it's like start small. Narrow it down to that and then go back up. It was almost like a hourglass shape towards like you have this big idea. Mm-hmm. Narrow it down to one thing, be successful in that, and then you can expand out. Yeah. So that's like that's what happened. Mm-hmm. This big, it was just this huge 
overwhelming thing, make it small and then keep going. As creatives, we have a lot of ideas and we, you know, have all these things that we want to do. And it's like, yes, you can do everything, but not at once. It dilutes the vision and it puts like stress on you that they don't need a lot. And that's one thing I've learned too, is that not to over extend yourself, go beyond, definitely push yourself, but not at the expense to where you're hurting. The line between discomfort and pain. It, you, you can't do as much. And, and I think when you're creative, you also just need a lot of space mm -hmm, to be mm -hmm. able to process these things. And the pressure just closes you in. It does. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. <laughs> See, I know we, I, it is one of those things too, like in realizing or knowing when you need help, mm -hmm. right? And reaching out to people who already went through what you went through. Mm -hmm. And there are times where like, okay, hey, should I talk to Ari? Should I talk to this person? They got their own shit they're dealing with. And just knowing, sometimes asking for help is, is loaded. Mm -hmm. Because say if you ask for help, but they say no. Right, you have to be prepared for be, be prepared for no, or, or be prepared for the person you ask, not the right person. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm looking to, you know, learn a healthy balance of, of, of interdependence, mm -hmm. working with people. How much do you tell them? How much do you not tell them? Mm -hmm. How much do you bring them in a loop? How much do you have it be uh, um, a functional relationship in terms of like, what am I bringing to you? What You know, there's mm -hmm. learning how to really best work with your community, work with your, your friends and family in a way that feels authentic to you, but at the same time, be honest with what they can give and what you can give back, yeah. right? Or, or receive and vice versa. And so It's like you have to be present to enjoy the possibility that's right in front of you. But if you get too attached to what could be and that like excitement, you know, it's a far way to fall when it doesn't, when it doesn't happen. And yeah. then if you're kind of focused on what won't work, you kind of set yourself up, right? So you have to stay somewhere in that middle where it's not, you're not so attached to an outcome, but you're just staying in the process. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's the gray area. Mm -hmm. That is the gray. It's the middle of the ocean. It's middle, <laughs> middle of the ocean, but you're still in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And you're swimming, yep. you're and you along. you're floating along. You're feeling the waves. You're floating. Your the sun is on you, and you got your sunscreen on. You got your shades <laughs> on, and you're st you're exercising. So um, anytime you're thinking about a project that's creative, design wise, visit thisismikenichols.com. This is Mike N I C H O L L S. Dot com. If you're interested in purchasing some of the things I did with Umber, mm -hmm. go to thisisumber.com. Uh, which is a print magazine of beautiful black and brown people. Black and brown, we define it as black folks, indigenous folks, Latin Americans, and marginalized people of color from around the world. So black and brown meaning it's printed in black and brown ink. That's our perspective. So. Vicinity is hosted by Ari Takata Vasquez and produced by Viscera Studio. The Viscera Studio team produced original cover art by Sia Gould and cover animation art by Sonia Pohl. Closing music by Jack Sriracha. Check him out on all streaming services and at Brotherfar on Instagram. Intro and commercial break music by Understory, which is Miles Bianchi and Ari Takata Vasquez. Find them on Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get notification of new episodes. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find our show. Uber Mike. Ooh, Uber Mike. Well, I don't want to be Uber Mike. <laughs> <laughs> like an alter ego.
<laughs> well, no, I just saw. Well, I, no, I do have alter ego. I don't know if I, if I should say it now. Hovercraft is that it? Yeah, that, yeah that's I one know. of them. Oh, one of them. So another one I just came up with, Nick, Chill, because oh. like Nichols, Nick mm-hmm. Chill. Mm-hmm. So he's just a cool jazz cat. Cool, cool jazz cat. <laughs> whatever you get out of here. Okay. Right now is going to be hot exclusives. I don't know. <laughs> this is, I'm just open. 